0: Today, we continue in a series of John, the book of John. Once a month, when I've been up here, we've been walking through that. The Gospel of John, you can follow along too on a handout. Uh, if you're watching online, that can be downloaded, track with us this morning. Today's talk is entitled When Interrogated. A bit of review. Uh, The book of John declares to you and I that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, the Word of God, the Savior of all who respond to the voice of God. You can know God through Jesus Christ. You can be forgiven through Jesus. You can sense God's real love through Jesus Christ. You can see God's holiness through Jesus. You can experience God's salvation and favor upon your life through Jesus Christ. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God himself through Jesus You can experience brand new life and calling and security, significance, strength through Jesus Christ. That's the message that the Apostle John is proclaiming in chapter 1. He's saying Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the promised Messiah to fulfill all of the Old Testament scriptures. Jesus is the Savior of the world, came to die for your sins and my sins, to give us his spirit, to give us forgiveness, to give us eternal life. All of life makes sense. All of life makes sense in Jesus Christ. The world that we live in does not make sense unless you view it through Jesus Christ. Jesus, the light of the world. So last month when we spoke, uh, number one was Jesus is the true light, John 1.9. The one who's the true light, not a fake light, not a false light, not a picture of a light, not someone who claims to be the light but isn't a light. A lot of false proclaimed, self-proclaimed lights in the world today. Jesus was the light of the world. Gives light to everyone. The source didn't just claim to have truth, he claimed to be the truth, the way the truth. Jesus came, he was the undercover boss. He said he came into the very world he created and the world didn't recognize him. He came and walked around on the ground that he created, the people that he thought of and created, and they didn't recognize him. God walking around. Jesus was rejected. He came to his own people, uh, so the Jewish people, and they rejected him. All the prophecies lined up about him, and yet they rejected the, at least the governing authorities, the, the influencers of that day, the majority of the people who followed those influencers. They rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But to those who believed in him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. He came with adoption papers. The light of the world came into the world, As undercover boss, and he had adoption papers for any and all with humble hearts, any who would believe and receive him. As many as received him, he gave the right to become children of God. He was on a rescue mission coming into enemy territory to save any and all who would call upon the Lord, seek and save the lost. Jesus makes it possible to be born again. Hey, we're all born once. We're born from our mother's. I don't care what they tell you, you're born from your mother. You're born from your mother. And and Jesus said, he was talking to Nicodemus, and he was saying, Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And and Nicodemus says, what are you talking about? How How do you go back and be born in your mother's womb? He says, he was speaking, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. We must be born again of the Spirit because flesh and blood does not inherit eternal life. But those of the Spirit will, and they'll receive a new glorified body at that time. Jesus came and he was full of grace and truth, not one or the other, and not half full, but full of grace and truth. I said last month that you and I were just full of it. He's full of grace and truth, grace and truth to the brim. So the word became human, made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And so, um, so we're going to jump now to... Uh, Later, and in, in, we're still in chapter one of John, uh, part four, when interrogated, and we're going to pick up at verse 19. The apostle John is writing the gospel of John, and in the book of John, he's referencing a different John, John the Baptist, who is, um, well, we'll read here. Here's John's testimony, verse 19. This was John, John the Baptist's testimony. When the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? He came right out and said, I am not the Messiah. Well, then who are you? They asked. Are you Elijah? No, he replied. Are you the prophet that we're expecting? No. Then who are you? We need an answer for those who sent us. What do you have to say for about yourself? Lord God, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you that you have a word for each of us sitting here. Lord, it's cool that though we're all in different places, our minds and circumstances in a lot of different places, you're capable of meeting each of us where we're at because of your Holy Spirit, your omnipresence. We thank you for your word today, Lord. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So, interrogated. I don't know if you've ever been interrogated before, if you feel interrogated, or if there's a person that always seems to interrogate you. Um, If you're a kid, you're interrogated every day, right? By your parents. Maybe. The power and influence that John exuded was such that thousands of people were flocking to him from Jerusalem and all of Judea Thousands of people are going out to see this man that wears camel skin and eats locusts for food. A rough guy, unpolished guy. They're flocking out there to hear him. And he has a message, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. Prepare your hearts because the kingdom of God is at hand. Don't put off till tomorrow or next week Because the kingdom of God is at hand. And people are coming out into the wilderness. Thousands upon thousands, multitudes. To hear him say that. And he's saying, prepare your hearts. Caught the eye of the officials. Of all the religious leaders. Of all the authorities. Of all the influencers. Jerusalem was the capital city. The holy city. And they're like, what in the world? We have degrees. We've studied since, our, since we were little. And all the people, instead of coming to us, they're going out to see this crazy man out in the wilderness. That caught their eye, and it also caught their envy. Who is this guy? And so they went out to him, not to get his autograph. They went out to interrogate him. Intimidating, confrontational. They weren't lining up to subscribe to his podcast. Who are you? And they weren't about to receive him as the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, by the way. They weren't looking to receive him as those things. Maybe they anticipated getting a false claim and then they could use it to disqualify him. That they were ready to fling mud at him. They were ready to drag him through it. Conduct a character assassination, public ridicule, make him a spectacle. Mock him, test him intellectually. Test them regarding their own man-made laws, their elitist perspectives. See if he's in line with their agenda or not. What do you have to say about yourself? So before they can even ask John the first question, John says, I'm not the Messiah. He he like knows, they're coming, he says, I'm not the Messiah. Why would they ask, are you the Messiah? Well, people were expecting the Messiah. At this exact time in history, everyone was expecting the Messiah. They were expecting him to come from Bethlehem. They were expecting him to be from the tribe of Judah. All of this was laid out in the Old Testament. The Savior is coming. He's going to be born in Bethlehem. He's going to be from the tribe of Judah, from the line of David. And so they're watching and they're waiting. Daniel's prophecy in the Old Testament, his prophecy of weeks, denoted that this was the exact time for the Messiah's arrival and intervention. So if you read Daniel, it speaks about 69 weeks until uh, the Savior would come, the Messiah would come. And so this was it. This was the, the, the mathematical, do the math right on it, and, and this is where it hits. Wise men followed a star. All the stars aligned. So people outside of Judea and Jerusalem, from far away from the east, they felt like, hey, this is the time. And they're, you know, they're watching the stars. God said in Genesis that he put the stars in the sky for signs and for seasons. So they were watching it, and, and things seemed to denote that something special was happening, and they came to pay tribute to the King of kings and Lord of lords. The wise men followed. Herod had attempted to keep this from happening. He killed, because he knew the prophecies so well, he thought, we need to kill all the babies in Bethlehem right now. And Joseph and Mary, they escaped with Jesus. God's always a step ahead. He sent an angel, said, hey, get out of there. They left for Egypt. For a season and then came back and then eventually settled in Nazareth. So, this is the time people are looking and waiting for a Messiah. So, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they were expecting a Messiah, but they did not have the right heart to receive him. They were proud and self serving, they were looking for a dominant rich warrior who would affirm their self righteousness and annihilate the Romans. They were also on the lookout for false messiahs, false claims. They were zealous to stamp out any heretical claims. Self-righteousness will do that too. Probably looking for someone who would be born to one of their families, who is rich and prominent and noble. Anyway, John says, no, I'm not him. So they move on to the next one. Are you Elijah then? Why did they ask that? Well, Malachi 3.1 says, look, this is Old Testament, 400 years before Christ, 450 years. Look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. And Jesus did come to his temple in Jerusalem. He walked into the temple. The Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant whom you look for so eagerly is surely coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So, I'm sending my messenger. He'll prepare the way before me. Then the Lord will come through your seeking, come into his temple. Malachi 4 5 3, 6. Look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, I will come and strike the land with a curse. So, there was um, an understanding that Elijah would come before the Savior, that he would prepare the way. And to this day, um, with a lot of the Jewish holidays, and I know Passover they do this, they set a seat and a chair and a plate, an extra one at the table in case Elijah comes back. So the family sits around the table to eat, um, to celebrate holidays, and there's an extra seat there, and they will go and check the door open the door, it's custom, they open the door to see if Elijah has come back, if Elijah's here yet or not. And so Jews and Christians alike believe and think that that Elijah may come back. In fact, the book of Revelation talks about the end times. Uh, There's a Revelation 11.3 says, I'll give power to my two witnesses, speaking at the end of days during the, the judgments and all kinds of different things going on. And they will will prophesy 1,260 days, so three and a half years, clothed in sackcloth. The signs they will perform and the message they preach, it's eerily similar to the ones that Moses and Elijah, the signs that accompanied them. A lot of people think it's Elijah and Enoch coming back. Some people think it's Elijah and Moses coming back. But I digress. John says, he answers them, no, I'm not Elijah. Elijah. It's interesting because Jesus says this of John in Matthew eleven, thirteen through 15. <clears throat> John, speaking to his disciples, this is, is later on here, he says, <clears throat> or after John comes and prepares the way, John is ta- Jesus is talking to his disciples, he says, For before John came, all the prophets and the law of Moses looked forward to this present time. And if you're willing to accept what I say, he is Elijah, the one the prophets said would come. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. If you're willing to, if you're willing to, he is Elijah. Was he Elijah? Or was he Elijah? Wasn't he Elijah? Look at Luke 1, 15 through 17. So when Mary was pregnant with Jesus and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist, this is what the angel told um, Elizabeth. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit, speaking of her, the son in her womb, even before his birth. He will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. He's not Elijah, but same mission, same boldness, same mission in preparing people for the coming of Jesus Christ. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. So um, again, look one more time at Malachi 4, 5 and 6. It says, look, I'm sending you the prophet Elijah before the great and dreadful day of the Lord arrives. His preaching will turn the hearts of the father to the children, the hearts of the children to their fathers. Otherwise, so look at this. So if it doesn't work or if it doesn't happen what's intended to happen I will come and strike the land with a curse Long story short the authorities of the day and the religious leaders of the day they rejected John the Baptist and they rejected Jesus Christ as the Messiah And in 70 AD the Jewish people were conquered and the temple destroyed and burned to the ground in Jerusalem and for 2,000 years, they've been in exile. They've been cast out of Israel until 1948, when they've just returned. 1948, Israel becoming a nation again. And a lot of prophecy about when that happens, when Israel becomes a nation again. We'll save that talk for another time, where we're closing in on the end of, of this era, this age. So here the, here's the uh, interrogators, right? There's the interrogators. Uh, Messiah, check, not that. Elijah, no, he doesn't claim to be that. Are you the prophet? What do they mean by that? Are you the prophet? What do they, we ask, are you the prophet? Deuteronomy eighteen fifteen. Moses continued, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. It's 1,500 years before Jesus is born. 1,500 years B.C. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. You must listen to him. So who is that prophet? They, they, so it seems like the religious leaders, they were thinking, hey, there's going to be a Messiah. There's going to be a prophet. Well, the prophet actually was the Messiah in this, in this prophecy here. Um, here, look, so Deuteronomy 18, 18 through 19. Again, it says, I will raise up for them a prophet like you, Moses. From among their brethren, and will put my words in His mouth, and he shall speak them to them all that I command him. Jesus, when he's on earth, he says, "I only speak what the Father tells me to speak, I only do what the Father tells me to do. And it shall be that whoever will not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. So judgment. In the book of Acts, so after Jesus comes, dies, rises from the grave, uh, the apostles say this in Acts 3. They're quoting, they say, <clears throat> Acts 3, verse 20. And that he may send Jesus Christ, who has preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken by the mouth of his holy prophets as the world began. For Moses truly said to the fathers, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren, Him you shall hear in all things, whatever he says to do, or to you. And it shall be that every soul who will not hear that prophet shall be destroyed from among the people. So that prophet is Jesus Christ. And John says, no, I'm not not the prophet that you're thinking or the prophet you're wondering about. Number one in your notes today, I will be interrogated. Maybe not just like John, but... All of us, at some point, if we're living for God and living for Christ and letting his light shine through us, we will be interrogated. Your motives, your authority will be questioned. People will question your motives. They'll doubt your character. They'll mock your intellect. They'll critique your life. They'll show displeasure. They won't see the work that you've done, the investment you've made. They're unaware of the trials that you have gone through. They're unaware of the hardships that you've had to experience that you haven't talked about publicly. They don't realize the other responsibilities on your plate. They don't respect you. They believe that you are incompetent or naive or power-hungry, and they have no idea what you have, where you have come from and what you have accomplished. Their intention is to knock you down, to get you demoted, to intimidate, to get you out of the way, to get rid of you. They see you as an obstacle to true success, a hurdle to their success, a roadblock to company success. They feel threatened by you, or offended by you, or angered. And so either directly or indirectly, they set out to disqualify you. Is that you today? Is there someone? or You're feeling that pressure, that heat, and how do you respond? It's cool, throughout Scripture, it's really fun reading Scripture, because from Genesis to Revelation, you see people being interrogated, and you also get to see how they respond. To that interrogation, and we can learn so much. And God would have us learn so much from those examples that have gone before us. And today, we're just looking at John, John the Baptist. Jesus said to his disciples, John fifteen eighteen through twenty one. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, but you are no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world so it hates you. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. And since they persecute me, naturally they will persecute you. And if they listened to me, they would have listened to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected the one who sent me. He's also speaking at this point directly to his disciples in Luke 21. He says, Before all this occurs, he's talking about the end of, of the age. There will be a time of great persecution. You'll be dragged into synagogues and prisons. You'll stand trial before kings and governors because you are my followers. But this will be your opportunity to tell them about me. So don't worry in advance about how to answer the charges against you, for I will give you the right words and such wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to reply or refute you. That'll be their opportunity. That's an opportunity. You have the floor to speak. To say something, what are you going to say? So, anyway, John replies back to our main text, chapter 1, verse 23. They say, Well, then, who are you? And he replies in the words of the prophet Isaiah, I am the voice shouting in the wilderness, clear the way for the Lord's coming. John knew who he was, and he knew what he was supposed to do. I am the voice shouting in the wilderness. Clear the way for the Lord's coming. That comes from Isaiah chapter 40. Here it is. 750, 800 years before Christ. Listen, it's the voice of someone shouting, Isaiah wrote. Clear the way through the wilderness for the Lord. Make a straight highway through the wasteland for our God. Fill in the valleys and level the mountains and hills. Straighten the curves and smooth out the rough places. Then the glory of the Lord will be revealed and all people will see it together. The Lord has spoken. John knew who he was and he knew what he was supposed to do. He belonged to God and at the end of the day he was going to answer to God and he wasn't trying to be someone else or keep up with the Joneses. He knew he was loved by God, he had a personal plan, God had a personal plan for him, straightforward mission. How did he know that? How did he know that he was supposed to be that person? In Luke 1, when it talks about John's birth. The angel said, don't be afraid, Zachariah. That was his father. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son you are to name him John. John was supposed to be John. That's who he was supposed to be. Luke one fifty nine. when the baby was eight days old, they came for circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What? They exclaimed There's no one in your family by that name, so they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted to name him. At this point, Zechariah was mute. He wasn't able to speak. He motioned for a writing tablet. To everyone's surprise, he wrote his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again. He began praising God. John was supposed to be called John. That name means the Lord has been gracious. That's That's what that word means. The Lord has been gracious. Later, we see that name become quite popular in the New Testament. So I don't know its popularity before then, before John the Baptist, but we see quite a few Johns then in the New Testament pop up. But it seemed absurd to those around that family that that he should be named that. Why did God care what name was given? God knows your name. God knows your name. And no matter what your parents named you, and whether you like the name or not, God knows who you are. And he has a name for you that is a good name and a noble name. He has a name of great value and worth for you. And he has a crown for you. And he has a race for you to run that only you can run. God sees us each individually, and he loves us each individually with great care. The Bible says he knows the number of hairs on our head. You don't know how many hairs are on your head. Some of you don't know, or some of you do know, but you used to not know. (laughs) God never intended to make John wealthy. He never intended him to travel the world, but he loved John. He knew who John was. He had a plan for John, and he has a reward for John. Yeah. Zechariah told his son in Luke chapter 1 verse 76, "And you, my little son, will be called the prophet of the Most High because you will prepare the way for the Lord." you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. He was prophesying. God was using Zechariah to speak into John's life. This is God's plan for you. You are to be the one that prepares the way for the Lord. And so number two, I know who I am. When interrogated, it's important that you and I know who we are. And we rest in that and we're secure and we're stable In who I am. I am a child of God. I am loved by God. I was created by God for God. I've been adopted by God through Jesus Christ. My sins have been paid for by Jesus Christ. I have promises given to me by God. I know who I am. I have my identity settled. I belong to God. I'm His Son. He cares about me and He likes me. He likes me. He likes you. He likes you. I know who I am. John knew who he was. Am I the Messiah? No. Elijah? No. Prophet? No. I know who I am, though. I'm a voice. I'm the one that's supposed to prepare the way for Jesus. And so that's what I'm doing. John 1, 24 through 28. Then the Pharisees who had been sent, then they asked them. They weren't done yet. That wasn't good enough. If you aren't the Messiah or Elijah or the prophet, what right do you have to baptize? So they had another question ready. Okay, if he denies these things, then we're going to hit him with the, why are you baptizing people? John told them, I baptize with water. But right here in the crowd is someone you do not recognize. Though his ministry follows mine, I'm not even worthy to be his slave and untie the straps of his sandal. This encounter took place in Bethany, an area east of the Jordan River, where John was baptizing. So there's a map. Um, There's Jerusalem, Dead Sea, Bethany, just on the other side of the Jordan River. And that's where John was, people were flocking from all over. From west of that river, they were all flocking over to Bethany to see John. So what right do you have to baptize? How do we react when confronted by a world that questions our beliefs or the validity of our mission or ministry? or when they point out imperfections of our past how do we defend ourselves should we even attempt to defend ourselves how much do we defend ourselves and not defend ourselves a lot of us i mean the way that the world responds is when interrogated do you know who i am that's how we push back do you know who I am? don't you realize my accolades don't you understand my position my past successes don't you realize my importance and John doesn't play that game. He doesn't even go there. It says, I baptize with water, merely symbolic, while the one who comes after me will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What I'm doing doesn't amount to a pile of beans in comparison to what Jesus will do. If you're preoccupied with my influence in ministry, you'll soon be undone by my leader. I don't consider myself worthy to assist Jesus in removing his dirty, stinky sandals at the end of the day. Jesus must increase, I must decrease. The spotlight must shift from me to him because I'm in comparison. He's he's the deal, he's the real deal. He's the one. Right here in the crowd or right here in Israel, in Israel at this time is the Savior. Possibly within that crowd. Stands one right here among you. The literal version says says in your midst. So is that in the crowd or is it in the within it certainly within Israel, in Judea? Okay, so number three, I don't need to play their game. He didn't try to defend or prove himself against those who weren't interested in the things of God. He knew who he was. When interrogated, he knew who he was. And he didn't go, listen, he didn't go the other way either. He didn't play false humility. He didn't play the victim. He didn't say, I'm nothing, I have no person, no purpose, I have no value. No, he said, I'm the voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare thee the way of life. I have worth, I have have a name, I have a mission. He didn't say, I'm nothing, I'm worth nothing. But then he says, but, and then he pointed to Jesus Christ, and he shifted. So disarming your accusers, instead of self-promotion, instead of self-defense, instead of self-pity, and false humility, false humility is not puffing himself up. When you puff yourself up, you just become a bigger target. If you try to esteem yourself, you're setting yourself up to fail. If you're trying to play king of the mountain, you're inviting an attack. If you play the victim, then you undermine the truth. Right? If you play the victim, then you're denying that you are God's child or that nobility is written all over you, your worth, your value, your power. And so, John, he doesn't reply to the gotcha questions, but he simply states his context and his understanding, this is who I am and this is what I'm doing, and here's where your focus might want to be, the one who's coming after me. So, John 1, 29 through 30 I don't know if the timing of this is significant or what. So he gets interrogated by all these religious leaders. He says what he says there, and then the next verse says, The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. <clears throat> he is the one I was talking about when I said, A man is coming after me who is far greater than I am, for he existed long before me. So this was it. This was it. <clears throat> The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, there he is right there. And for those, some of you have heard this many times, but for those at that time, when he said Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, their ears are wide open because throughout the entire Old Testament, a lamb being sacrificed in place of, of sin, a sacrificial lamb was referred to over and over again. So when he says, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, everybody's antennas go up. And and real quick, Adam and Eve, when they sinned in the Garden of Eden, the first two people, and they recognized their nakedness and they felt the shame of their guilt for disobeying God, not trusting him. They tried to cover themselves. They did so inadequately. And what had to happen was a sacrifice, an animal, had to be slaughtered so that they could be covered with animal skin. Later on, Abraham, with his son Isaac, um, God tells Abraham, says, take your one son, Abraham, take him up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him. There's no time, I don't think, in the entire Bible that God tells someone to sacrifice their son, except in this one occasion. And by the way, if you follow the story out, God doesn't allow him to sacrifice his son. But as they're going up, he says, Father, we have the wood for the fire, and we're going up for the sacrifice, but what about the lamb? And, and dad said, God will provide the lamb. And as they get up there, and as Isaac is placed upon the altar and tied up, and as Abraham is about to put his knife through his dearly beloved son, God stops him and says, do not do not kill your son. And they looked, and there was a ram caught in the thicket. And they sacrificed that ram in, in um, Isaac's place. And, and Abraham said, this mountain will be called Jehovah-Jireh. The Lord provided, God will provide. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. And so, um, later on, um, Passover happens. So the Israelites, uh, the Hebrew people, they're enslaved in Egypt. And the Ten Commandments, or the the Ten Plagues, preceding the Ten Commandments, happened throughout the land of Egypt. And Moses is saying, let my people go, let my people go. You may have seen the Disney movie. But you let my people go, and and the last plague was the death of the firstborn of all of the Egyptians in the land. It was severe. The, the Egyptian people were oppressing and not letting the, the slaves go free, the Hebrew slaves go free, and God kept ramping up the plagues, and they kept hardening their heart, and Pharaoh said, No, I will, I will continue to oppress. I will continue to use these people. And God says, Okay, here's the next plague. No, and it just ten plagues. Last one was... Um, a death was going to sweep through and kill uh, the firstborn son of every every person. The Hebrew people were supposed to do something so that this did not happen to them. They were supposed to find a spotless white lamb signifying innocence. And they were to kill the lamb, sacrifice the lamb, and place the blood on the doorpost and above the door, above and on the sides of the doorpost, so that when the angel of death came across came over Egypt, he would see the blood, and he would pass over. That's how the Jewish holiday Passover came into existence. He would pass over, and that blood provided a covering for the people in that house. And their firstborns did not die. And so the lamb, the innocent lamb, the spotless lamb, who hadn't done anything wrong, the blood of that provided a cover so that the angel of death would pass over the house. So these religious leaders and all the people, all the Jewish people that were coming out to hear John the Baptist, they'd heard all these stories their whole life. And then in um, the book of Isaiah, 750 years before Christ, uh, Isaiah says this, speaking of the future, he says, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before his shears, he did not open his mouth. And that entire chapter, chapter 53, depicts the crucifixion of Jesus Christ dying for people, the Lamb of God. So the next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So number four in your notes, I point to Jesus. I point to Jesus. John was connecting all the Jewish dots throughout history, the prophecies, the foreshadowings. He was helping people see that Jesus was the promised Messiah. You and I have the same mission as far as helping people see Jesus and know Jesus and hear the gospel through our lives and our, our, our words. And uh, so Jesus says, Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We have a baptism Sunday coming up really soon. That's going to be awesome. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments I have given you. Be sure of this. I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Wow, time is flying. We'll skip down here. Um, Actually, that's probably a good spot to, to stop. The last one was, I will stay faithful to my role. We didn't quite get there. John was doing a pretty simple thing. He's out there in the wilderness. He's baptizing people in the water. And he's proclaiming the kingdom of God is at hand, it's coming. And that allowed, and then Jesus came on the scene. The heavens opened and the voice from heaven said, this is my son, my dearly beloved son, whom I am well pleased. The spirit descended upon him like a dove. John didn't do all those things. He was just baptizing people. And then God did the big things. John did the little things, being faithful to his call. And God did the big things. Um, I guess uh, as we close, um, I was thinking this the last couple of weeks is that we have a lot of answers. As a community, as the body of Christ, we have a lot of answers. You have a lot of answers. You know, most of you know a lot about God. Like, I don't know a lot about God. Yeah, you do. You do. You know his character. You know his, his Messiah. You know his power. You know his, his character. You know these things. We have a lot of answers. We need to know the questions that are being asked in our community. We need to know the questions because we have a lot of answers. We need to be able to hear and listen and know the questions because God has planted us here, like John the Baptist, very strategically in our places of influence. We need to ask, we need to learn, we need to know the questions that are being asked right now, the people around us, and give them opportunity to verbalize and ask those questions. And we can point people to Jesus. And I think as the church grows and as the school grows and as there's a new building The new building, phase one building over there, that's not the end of what's going on. That is the beginning of something that God is going to do. We're we're gaining territory and acreage and building space, but I believe God is going to use us in such a powerful way for people to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, the love of God. And we just have to be ready and available and saying, God, use me. And speak through me, Lord. And I believe God's going to do that. Uh, You want to stand with me? And as we close, I'll close in prayer and you're free to go. Uh, The worship team will be playing if you want to stick around. Um, I don't know what the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, whether it's being interrogated or it's about your identity or it's about being faithful, or it's about your expectations of what God can or should do or will do, Um, about being bold. But um, pray with me. Father God, you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. Lord, we were saying, I exalt thee. We were singing that this morning. I exalt thee, I exalt thee, I exalt thee. Lord, in you, Lord, we find our place Lord we find who we are we find freedom and redemption oh God you are awesome we praise your name for the things that you accomplish Lord with you all things are possible Lord you're a big God who does big things we thank you for doing big things Lord we thank you for John the Baptist and his faithfulness Lord carrying out what you had for him to do Lord I thank you for each person in this room. I thank you for this family, Lord. We're family, Lord, as well as all the Christians all over the world, Lord, that seek you and listen to you. Your sheep hear your voice. We hear you, Lord. Increase our faith, Lord. You know the future. You know next week and next month and next year. And it will not catch you by surprise. It'll catch us by surprise. It won't catch you by surprise. Let us stand upon you, Lord, and be nurtured by you daily. Our spirits are renewed day by day. You give us strength each day for what's at hand. And you are faithful to us, Lord, never to leave us nor forsake us. Lord, we realize our dependency. Boy, we need to walk in step with you. Boy, we need to hear from you. Boy, we need your strength and your power. Boy, we need your revelation. We certainly do, Lord. Lord, we treasure you, Lord. Forgive us of our sins. Forgive us, Lord. All of us need forgiveness from you today. All of us need your forgiveness. We thank you for providing that through Jesus. And in his name we pray, amen.